0: Well, hello, church friends. Thank you so much for joining uh, with us on another online service. If you're traveling, man, we hope that you have safe travels. If you're not, when you're at home, we for quick recovery. Uh, We just want to remind you, man, our heart is uh, for this service is to be just a supplemental uh, extra Bible study, extra to get some uh, God's word in if you're traveling. Uh, Our heart is that every single person is uh, connected to a local church community of believers. Well, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at Agora Bible, and I have a couple announcements before you, uh, for you before we get into God's Word. Uh, the first one is, uh, we love partnering with you in prayer, and if you have any prayer requests, uh, we just find it to be a privilege to be able to pray with you. So you can text your prayer request to 97000, text those prayer requests, and we will receive them, and we will pray for you throughout the week. The other thing is, man, we just have a lot going on here every single week at uh, the church uh, with uh, adult ministries, uh, children's ministries, high school, junior high, uh, just something for every single person. We want to make sure that you know where to find that information. So you can check out our website at agorabible.org or our church center app, and you can find all of that information. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to contact us and we would be happy to get back to you. Well, lastly, uh, we can't do what we do without your faithful generosity, and uh, we'd just uh, be so grateful if you would consider making a donation. You can do that on our website under the gift tab or on our Church Center app, and uh, again, we're just so thankful for your ongoing generosity. Well, with that said, let's go ahead and get into God's Word. Well, thank you, Christopher, and hello, everyone. My name is Josh. I'm
1: one of the pastors here, and I am excited to get into God's Word with you today. Uh, hopefully, you've been enjoying this series. We are addressing some questions that Jesus asked. He asked some really good ones. Uh, I've, as somebody that's been preparing uh, from the series, I've really been enjoying it. Uh, pretty cool stuff is coming out of it, I feel like, every week. Jesus just asked some good questions. So, speaking of questions, here I am, and I have a question for you as we start our time together. Have you ever been reading Scripture... And you come across a passage and you read something and you're like, wait a second, I feel like I've read something completely contradictory somewhere else. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, actually, it happened fairly recently as I've been preparing for this series. I've just kind of been uh, reading through the Gospels. And I was going through the book of Luke and I came across two different passages, just two chapters apart where I read it and I was like, Wait, I thought he said something else just like two chapters ago. And uh, in Luke 9, Jesus says this He says, The one who is not against you is for you. And then he turns around in Luke 11, two chapters later, and he says, Whoever is not with me is against me. You catch that? So, Uh, On face value, as I'm just like reading through, I'm like, wait, I could have swore he said the exact opposite because when you just read it, you think that these two statements are opposed to each other, right? I don't know. Have you ever read these or seen this one? Um, It seems like according to one statement, everyone that's uh, in the middle ground is an ally of Jesus, Whereas with the other statement, it appears that everyone in the middle ground is an enemy of Jesus. And it's like, how do you reconcile the two together? But really, uh, I don't know if you're like this, but when I find something like this, I'm like, I just gotta, I gotta know. (laughs) Like what in the world is going on? What is he trying to say? And as you dive in, it really all comes down to a pastor's favorite word, the context, Uh, as you read Luke 9, when he says, the one who is not against you is for you, here, Jesus is talking about a group of people that are ministering in his name. There are people literally going around and using the name of Jesus. They understand that there is power in his holy name, and so they are ministering in his name, even though they're not connected to the 12 disciples. And Jesus says, hey, like, There's unity in my followers, like let's be unified. Uh, They are with us. But then in Luke 11, it's a completely different scenario. When he says, whoever is not with me is against me, he's talking about these skeptics. So what happened is he just cast out a demon and there's this group of skeptics that come up and they're opposed to him, they're questioning him, they're trying to trap him. They're demanding a sign, even though he just cast out demons because they said that he cast out demons by demonic powers. So they're accusing him of being like demonic and it's to this group of people that he is drawing a line and basically saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. So, in the context, I feel like each makes sense. Uh, there's no really contradiction at all. The reason why I bring it up is because when I tell you our question today, the question that Jesus asked that we're going to take a look at today, you're going to hear this question and if you've read scripture or been following the Lord, uh, been following Jesus for a while, you're going to be like, that does not sound like what Jesus is about. That does not sound like what scripture says and you're correct. On the surface level, you are absolutely correct. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look and be like, man, what is Jesus actually saying here? Because spoiler alert, there's no contradiction here either. Let me pray for us and then let's just dive in together. Uh, Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you. Uh, God, thank you for another chance to just be together together. Uh, online even, and just getting into your word. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, everyone that's tuning in right now. God, whether they're on their commute, whether they're at work, um, whether it's sitting on their couch uh, with some coffee. um, Lord, I just pray that you'd be moving and working and stirring in people's hearts and lives. Um, God, just again, we're so grateful. Every week I feel like we say we're so grateful for your word, um, that you don't leave us where we're at, that you wanna change and shape us and mold us. And so Lord, uh, I ask that you draw us in more that we would uh, commit more and more of our lives to you, that we would be focused on eternity and on heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd use this passage today and Jesus' teaching today to just stir us up. And so, Lord, we love you. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. I always think it's good to get it out on your phone or to have your physical Bible with you uh, so that you can kinda just keep eyes on the text and you'll see a bunch of the scriptures before and after. I just think it's good to have that. Uh, Otherwise, I will have scripture on the screen for you. And wanna start with today's question. Today's question is, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now, if you're paying attention to the scripture that just popped up on your screen, you will have seen that that is from the book of Luke, not Matthew. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. And I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Well, in Luke's account, He records this interaction with the disciples as Jesus asking a question and then immediately answering it, whereas Matthew records it as a statement made by Jesus, as you'll see shortly. So I am not commenting that this is any sort of seeming contradiction. They're literally saying the exact same thing in different form. I am simply pointing out the fact uh, that Luke asked the question, and I wanted to show you the question because technically it has to be a question that Jesus asked in order for us to talk about it. That's why I'm showing you it. Uh, But we're going to get into the passage of Matthew, because Matthew's context is just a little fuller. It just gives us a better picture of what Jesus is actually saying. And so want to spend the majority of our time in Matthew. You get it, let's move on. But before we even get to the Matthew passage, I do wanna set the stage a little bit. So as you can see from this question uh, here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was addressing the fact that the disciples and really the Jews in general anticipated that Messiah would bring peace on earth. Messiah would bring peace on earth. And the reason why is because they had Old Testament uh, messianic prophecies. Exodus 34, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 37, Psalm 72, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 66, and everyone's favorite Christmas tune, Isaiah 9, referring to the prince of, that's right, peace. So their understanding was that Messiah would usher in un paralleled peace. But yet, we have this question, this comment from Jesus. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? Let's read it again, this time in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Matthew ten thirty-four says this. It's basically the different way to phrase it. Instead of a question, he's making a statement. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Sounds pretty contradictory, right? Not only does it contradict the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, but it also contradicts New Testament teaching. New Testament teaching from Paul, from Peter, and from Jesus himself. Every teaching that we have elsewhere in scripture points to the Messiah, points to Jesus as someone that brings peace. And so in order to understand what Jesus is actually saying here in Matthew 10 34, we have to uh, keep in mind what he has said elsewhere. As I said, scripture is quite clear that Jesus did indeed come to bring peace. I know you believe me, but I wanna prove it because this, uh, we need this as a foundation as we get into our next section. So I'm just gonna move very quickly here. We're just gonna move through. Uh, I'm gonna to point to a handful of scriptures, um, but we're just kind of setting the tone, setting the table a little bit. So Jesus absolutely came to bring peace. He brought peace between God and man. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is a gospel of peace. The only means by which there can be peace between a holy God and sinful man is Jesus He absolutely came to bring peace. Number two, Jesus brought peace within us. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus explicitly said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There is a supernatural peace that supersedes, that goes beyond any human understanding as Paul writes about in Philippians, that only comes through Jesus. Jesus absolutely came to bring peace. Number three, Jesus came to bring peace within the church. Uh, If you were around for our Good Friday services this year, uh, it was killer yet again. Uh, And what we did was we looked at one of Jesus's prayers uh, from John chapter 17. It's a very popular prayer, uh, often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Uh, And in this prayer, Jesus prays specifically that his followers, so the church, would become perfectly one. That we would be unified, that we would be united, that there would be an overwhelming peace amongst us. That was his prayer. He prayed that we would be perfectly one, just like he and the Father are one. That is, like, think about the peace and the unity that's between God the Father and Jesus the Son. That is his heart for us. So Jesus came to bring peace between God and man, within us, within the church, and number four, between the church and the world. Now, if there was ever a group where it would make sense to take this verse, Matthew ten thirty four, right? Our question for today, that Jesus did not come to bring peace but a sword. If there was ever a time to take that verse literally, it would be with this group, right? So for the most part, the Jews assumed that this peace that was prophesied by Messiah would be a political and a military peace. They assumed Messiah would show up that he would lead a militaristic defeat of all of Israel's enemies, and he would usher in and maintain this utopia that was perfectly peaceful. That was the picture of what was coming in. But as you know, that is not what Jesus did. Listen here. Concerning enemies, Jesus taught his followers that when they're met with hatred, cursing, abuse, theft, even being struck... They respond not with a sword, but with doing good, with blessing, with prayer, with generosity, with not retaliating. Completely the opposite of what was anticipated, the type of peace that was anticipated with Messiah, completely the opposite. Concerning the tyrannical, oppressive, and even evil occupying Roman government, really the only interaction we see of Jesus with the Roman government, aside from the fact that he really didn't say anything to Herod or Pilate, was his response when he was questioned about paying taxes to Caesar. His response, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. There was no sword in any of it. Never, ever a sword in a literal sense. Jesus absolutely came to bring peace and he came to bring peace to a radical degree. Just read through, like I gave you a handful of scriptures for each of those points. There are plenty more that you could go through. Jesus absolutely came to bring peace to a radical, radical degree. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So what in the world is he talking about here if not a literal sword? Again, before we continue on, and we're gonna keep reading through and get to the bottom of this, uh, I assure you there is no contradiction here. He absolutely came to bring peace, just not at all costs. Let's keep reading, verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, uh, that, is, that is some strong Jesus scripture right there. Verse 35 and 36 says this, for I have come, the reason I have come is to set a man against his father, daughter against mother, etc., etc." et, cetera, et cetera. Question, based on what we've already read in the discussion that we just had above, uh, was the reason, was the main purpose for Jesus coming to earth really to tear families apart? Obviously not. Obviously, obviously not. What he's doing here in this whole section, we see it clearly in the entirety of the section and most clearly in verses 37 through 39, is he's making a point that he, that Jesus, has to be our ultimate affection. Jesus has to be our ultimate affection over everything else, even above the things that are most important to us on this planet, our family in our very lives. Our affection for Jesus must be above even our very lives. It's not a matter of loving Jesus and being against our family. It is a matter of correctly aligning our priorities. Just so you know, uh, verse 37 is not some symbolic, flowery language. It's not to be like, how do we interpret this? This sounds so nice. This is literally the base call of every single person that considers themselves a follower of Jesus. This is the base call. Do you love Jesus more than your family? Do you love Jesus more than your life? I was thinking about it, man, do I love Jesus more than my family? Uh, I mean, both of those are huge questions, but do I love him more than my family? Is it like, how do I even like put that into perspective? Uh, how do I compare love for the unseen God with love that I have for my tangible physical family that's right in front of me? And mom and dad, I love you so much, uh, but no offense. It's easier to say that I love Jesus more than you than it is when I bring in my kids, right? It talks about uh, son or daughter. Man, the idea of loving Jesus more than my son or daughter, then I start like, it's like mental gymnastics. Like, how do I even evaluate this question? I think for some people, just at face value, man, for some people, legitimately deciding to follow Jesus, Um, you know that there might be a rift caused or you know there absolutely will be a rift caused in division and separation in your family just on the choice to follow Jesus. I know that that is a thing, still happens even here in America today, undoubtedly. And Jesus says, I am absolutely worth it. He is absolutely worth it. Um, For me personally, in my situation, that's not where my head goes. That's not, that hasn't been true of my situation. Uh, Thank the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, but from my point of view, I could not help but think as I was uh, reading this scripture of a Christian film that I just watched this week. I had gotten a recommendation, watched it with Lindsay just this past week. And man, as I read this, like the two, I could not separate them. Uh, I watched this film. It was called Free Burma Rangers. Free Burma Rangers. Um it is the true story of uh, the civil war that's going on in the country of Burma. This civil war has been going on for 75 years. It is the longest standing war. Uh, honestly, it's, a lot of it is just a genocide uh, of the government and some of the tribal villages. Um, Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, The country of Burma has renamed itself Myanmar uh, in the last few years, trying to honestly cover up the things that are still going on. Um, But the documentary was pretty wild. Uh, It it covers this American missionary family. Uh, The dad, his name is David Eubank. He grew up as a missionary kid, went into the military, went into the special forces, and then God called he and his wife to the missions field in Burma. Cool story, again, if you want more details, you should definitely go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, But he called him there into a very unique role. Felt like God was calling him to go and help people in the conflict zones, basically to go where the area of fighting was, where people were being chased out of their homes by the military. Uh, The military would come in, burn villages, and literally just slaughter people uh, there in the villages. And so people would just book it, and so they would go and just help people escape. They would provide medical support. They would help them uh, get out. And then they would just document the whole thing with video cameras so that they could show the outside world of the atrocities that were actually going on there. They didn't have anything to do with helping in the fight. They weren't going to actually fight. But what happened is uh, the Eubanks... As they were doing this, uh, just people started coming along to help them out in various different roles. And more and more over the years, more and more and more people joined. Uh, Nationals from Burma got involved and they started training people. Pretty wild. This thing just took off. And as of the filming, just uh, the release, just a few years ago, they had over 70 teams that were going all throughout Burma and just going to the conflict zones and helping bringing people out and providing medical relief. Really, really cool. Some of the footage that they got of what's actually going on there is pretty mind-blowing. It was pretty darn incredible. But the most amazing part of the whole thing for me, and I'm still kind of processing the emotions that is stirred up, and it's really along this line of what we're talking about here in this passage, is that David and his wife Karen, they wanted to have a family. They ended up having three kids, And they kind of had to come to this point of what do we do? What do we do? We have three different options. We can either leave the field and raise a family elsewhere and kind of do something else. We can send our kids off to boarding school and remain here on the field and helping people in this area that we feel like the Lord has called us to. Or we can keep our kids with us, keep our family together uh, and raise them here in this battle zone. And what they decided to do was they decided to keep all three of their kids, uh, by the end of the film, the kids are like teenagers and stuff. Um, you see plenty of footage of them, like in the wild, like riding on random animals and jumping in rivers and just like being a part of the relief effort and, uh, pretty, pretty insane. Um, the, uh, Man, one of the big things was they decided then that the Lord was calling them to help different countries outside of Burma. And so when David got the call to come and help in Iraq, and go to the front lines and help there, they decided that the entire family was going to go. Again, an incredible, incredible story, highly recommend. I could talk, I've already spoken too long about it. It's just so good of a film and so moving. Uh, Definitely recommend going and watching. Um, But really it begged the question for me, Josh, what is of ultimate importance in your life? What is of ultimate importance for your family, for your kids? Is it earthly things? Is it physical safety and tangible provision of goods? Or is the ultimate importance of your life eternal things? Just point blank. Didn't have any specifics, but I feel like that's the question that is asked of us here. I'm not saying that everyone should drop everything and go to the front lines of Iraq. Uh, It's funny, as Lindsay and I were kind of debriefing because it's like this emotional thing, we're like debriefing, and uh, one of the first things Lindsay said to me was, We're not going to Iraq. Uh, she knows I get pretty fired up about stuff. I'm like, We're going, pack the bags. Um, but that's not what it's about. It's not about seeking out danger just for danger's sake. I, I hope that's, that is not the call by any means. I absolutely value the physical well being of my family. I pray for the physical well being of my family uh, very, very regularly. Um, however, like I said, watching that film. Just brought up these feelings that I desperately, desperately want to prioritize things of eternal value. I I desperately want to prioritize the things of Jesus. I want that to be the determining factor of how I make decisions in my life, not based out of fear or based out of physical things that I can see here on this earth. I want to make decisions through that lens for myself, sure, because I feel like that's how the Lord is calling me to live. Um, and that's how God calls each of us to live is to come to him with open hands and say, here is my life. I'm willing to do any, give up anything for you, even my life for you. I know that's how he calls us to live. But man, even more importantly than that, I want that for my family. I want that for my kids. I want them to see their dad willing to go anywhere, do anything, uh, give up anything for the cause of Jesus, because I think that's what they need to see in me. That is what they need to see in their dad. They need to see that I'm willing to give up anything regardless of the cost for Jesus because he is so, so worth it. One of my favorite scenes of the entire film uh, was a very short interview with the mom, with Karen. And uh, she was kind of explaining the decision to bring the whole family to Iraq. And man, she just like had this line and I'm gonna paraphrase it. I don't know exactly how she said it, but it was this amazing answer of her saying that she believed that the absolute, uh, that being right where God wanted them to be, right in the middle of his plan for their lives was not only the safest, but also the richest place for their family to be regardless of how it appeared on the outside. Catch that again. She said that this is the safest and richest place for us to be. Just trusting God, trusting God is good, trusting that his plan is good. And just, man, I just want to live my life like that. God, I will go anywhere and do anything because I trust you and your goodness. Verses 35 through 39 are pretty darn powerful by themselves. Um, Man, just read through those verses a couple of times, I'm telling you, they'll kick your butt. But there is another layer, and we actually get to the heart of what Jesus is saying and asking in this question when we take the context into account. Okay, so in the context of Matthew chapter 10 of what's going on here, Jesus has gathered up the 12 disciples. He is about to send them out. They're gonna go heal the sick, Cast out demons and preach the good news. But first, Jesus gathers them up because he wants to prepare them. Jesus knows that he is offensive to many people. He knows that not everyone is going to receive what the disciples have to say. The disciples are going to experience hatred, persecution, beatings, death threats, all of that is going to come on account of being a Jesus follower. So, he said things like Matthew 10:28, Matthew 10:32 through 33, "Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven." And that is what leads up to verse 34. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. When we read verses 35 through 39 in light of that context, man, the application for me and you today becomes so crystal clear. Jesus is still very divisive, in case you didn't know. Jesus is still offensive to people today here in 2023. He knew that was the case way back then when he walked the earth, and he always knew that that was going to be the case today. He knows that's going to be the case until he returns in glory. That is true. He's divisive. People don't like him. He was the poster child for peace again, but not at all costs there is one thing that is worth potentially causing division over. That's the name of Jesus. I, uh, I naturally am a peacemaker and kind of a feeler, a censor. Um, I do not like offending people. Uh, I do not like drama. I don't understand people that are wired that are kind of like the head butter, like it doesn't make sense to me. I am so not like that. Uh, I like to think that I'm fairly socially intelligent, uh, fairly uh, good at diffusing situations, at bringing people together, healing things, uh, working through conflict. Uh, It's just the way that God's wired me. Uh, Mostly it's a blessing. Uh, I feel like it helps me in my job. Um, However, uh, there is absolutely an unhealthy side to just being wired that way in my personality. For sure, in certain situations, uh, I can tend to err on the side of keeping the peace and not offending people, even when it comes to Jesus. Even when it comes to Jesus. The Lord has been super gracious and patient with me, but man, he is stretching me and working on me uh, in this area. Uh, Just a few months ago, I was talking with one of my neighbors who is Jewish and we were just chatting it up about basketball and life. And uh, it was around Easter time and around Passover. And he was talking about how he was gonna be hosting his family's Passover Seder this year. And so a couple weeks later when I saw him, I uh, just asked him how it went. Hey, how'd it go um, hosting your Seder? And man, he was telling me stories. They had such a great time, all this. And he was like, hey, you and your wife and your girls should come over for the, for the next one. Next time we have something like that, we'll, we'll have you come over. I was like, that sounds absolutely amazing. I said, we had a guy from Jews for Jesus Uh, come over to our church uh, last Easter and walked us through a Passover Seder. And it was really cool. I said, I was amazed at how much symbolism there was in the Seder that all pointed to Jesus. And um, now I said it it like as humbly and gently as I possibly could. But at the same time, I knew like I wanted to insert Jesus into the conversation, even knowing um, how it most likely, Um, be received. And as you would expect, um, the tone just kind of shifted. And um, yeah, I just left that conversation, honestly, uh, not feeling like proud or anything. I left the conversation feeling bad. Like I left the conversation feeling bad that I had offended this guy. And uh, it's been a few months. I actually haven't talked to him since. Like there's just been nothing. I don't know if he's avoiding. I don't know if we just haven't bumped into each other. I don't know. Um, But I literally have thought over the past few months, there have been times when I've gone back to the conversation, I've thought about it. I was like, man, should I not have said that? Should I not have brought up the name of Jesus knowing that it would be offensive to a a Jewish man? And man, I'll tell you what, uh, just being completely honest, Uh, this past week of just like diving into this passage, I feel it's just like been a good heart thing for me. It's just like been like such a good and confirming uh, thing because I feel like the Lord is saying and has said, told his disciples is saying to us now, it is very okay to let the plain and simple truth when it's done in a humble and gentle way, uh, the plain and simple truth about Jesus, it's okay for that to offend people. It's okay for the truth about Jesus to offend people, especially if it's done in a humble and gentle way. Not like being a bully about it, but just like saying things that are true. Because point blank, Jesus is divisive. We see here in this regard, Jesus intentionally came to bring division. He knew it was gonna happen. That is what this question is all about. Jesus is divisive. Man, is he divisive today in America in 2023. Not to the same extent that he was back then, right? They're worried about like death threats and all that stuff. We're not dealing with that kind of stuff here, but man, is he still divisive. I'm not trying to discount how divisive he is and uh, how much we can want to shrink back for sure. Like the disciples, Jesus has sent us out with good news. Because let's be clear, Uh, The good news of Jesus at its core is not divisive at all. It is like the greatest news literally in the history of humanity. It is for everyone. It is a free gift to have relationship with our creator God. Like it is the absolute best of news that we have to share. And yet it is somehow divisive. Uh, Like the disciples, the Lord has sent us out with good news. Also like the disciples, we should expect opposition as well. We should expect opposition. If there is zero division in our lives concerning Jesus, maybe we're not doing it right. If there is zero division in our lives over Jesus, I'm not saying over this thing, that thing, the other thing that we wanna get divisive about. If there's no division in our lives over Jesus, maybe we're not doing it right. You can go through this life for sure and offend no one with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, But the question is, how many thousands of opportunities will you miss to share about the greatest thing, as I said, in the history of humanity that has happened to you and the greatest thing that's happened to this world? By the way, as a ending end note, uh, I don't think this is Jesus's way of like beating up the disciples. I don't think he's trying to beat us up. I'm certainly not trying to beat anybody up. Man, I am preaching to me. I simply think Jesus is pleading, pleading with the disciples to keep their eyes focused on the things of this life that really matter, to keep their eyes focused on eternity, because that is coming soon, and to keep their eyes focused on him. Let me pray. Dear Father, Man, Jesus had some stuff to say, holy smokes. Um, Lord, thank you for the heart of Jesus. Thank you for the way that he brought peace across the board in every single relationship. He is the bringer of peace. God, thank you that he made peace between us and you. God, thank you that he gives us peace inside ourselves when we are going through the hardest of times, that there's peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you that he brings peace in the church, that we can work things out and that your Holy Spirit gives us grace for one another. God, thank you uh, that you give peace between the church, that you give peace between your followers and the outside world, and that you call us to be peacemakers. Um, Lord, but not at all costs. Um, Lord, you knew that Jesus would be divisive and you're okay with it. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have eyes to see how we're wired, uh, our own personalities, for those of us like me that tend to not want to offend, that have that uh, kickback, that pushback against offense. Um, Lord, would we ignore that when it comes to gently and humbly sharing truth about Jesus? Um, Lord, we ask that you would use that in ways that we can't even see or imagine. God, I don't know what you're gonna do in my neighbor's heart. I don't know what that comment's gonna do. Maybe nothing, or maybe in years down the road, uh, that's gonna be an open door or a seed that's planted. God, we have no idea how you use so many of these things in our lives. Lord, help us to just be obedient. Um, God, thank you that you're worth it. Thank you that you are so worthy. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see ways where we are putting uh, our own earthly stuff ahead of you. Um, God, we don't want to put anything ahead of you, even our own lives. Um, Lord, help us to day by day, by your spirit, lay ourselves down to follow you the way that you want us to. God, we need you in all this. Um, We are certainly uh, not perfect uh, and we are desperate for your Holy Spirit to come and help us in the midst of it. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen.